0: to now transition into talking about this Jesus that has inspired millions around the world to worship this morning. Millions, think about that. Millions upon millions upon millions of people this morning are gathering together, worshiping Jesus. It's crazy. Now, why is that? Why is that? I was reminded of that this week at the grocery store. Ryan, would you throw up that picture? Oh, <laughs> we got a picture um, to show you. I was reminded I was walking out of this grocery store, QFC right here in Wallingford, and right on uh, the aisle, Time Magazine has a brand new special edition out. You think, you think it's accidental that they put this special edition on Easter? Here's what it said, the science of living Longer. These people are smart. They know what people are thinking about this time of year around Easter the science of living longer. We're compelled by that cover, are we not? I want to know how to live longer. I want to know how to extend my life. Well, guess what? That's why millions of people are gathered around the world because they've come to believe or they're wondering if Jesus is that science. If he is the one, and I believe that he is, that can extend life, life everlasting, the scriptures teach us. He's the only one. Spoiler alert, you don't need to spend your money on this magazine. None of it works. (laughs) You will die, 100%, success rate, death, except for this one person who rose from the grave. So that's why we celebrate That's why we celebrate Jesus. Now, today we're going to look at the Exodus story because we're in a series in Exodus. And what we've said is the whole Bible actually talks about Jesus. And so we don't even need to stop our series in Exodus. We'll just keep going. And what we'll see is actually the story we'll read today is about Jesus. It's prefiguring, it's pre-shadowing the resurrection of Jesus. You say, like, no way. The answer is Yes. And so we've come to our point in the story. The people of God, the, the, the people of Israel have been enslaved for 400 years. If you've been walking with us, God has just uh, used 10 plagues to break down the king of Egypt where, who was enslaving these people. And, and finally he says, go, get out. And so they leave. God, allow, or God uh, forces the hand of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh allows them to leave And they grab all their things, and in a hurry, they begin to march out of Egypt, where they've been enslaved for 430 years. It's all they'd ever known, but they're following God out into the wilderness. God has moved them out of slavery, oppression, and bondage, and he's going to move them into something else. But in between that is this wilderness, where they're going to be like, God, is this all you have for us? How can we still trust you? And so we've come to the point where, in the story, where it's just uh, days, probably weeks after they, they first started to march towards the desert. And God has, for some strange reason, placed them in a precarious situation. They've come to the Red Sea, a large body of water that they cannot pass on their own. And where this, uh, and the Pharaoh has hardened his heart, and he actually has chosen to come after them. Even though he said, let them go, he said, you know what? Let's get them now that they're outside of Egypt. Maybe God has forgotten. Because you see, the gods of Egypt were quite fickle, and sometimes they took naps, and sometimes uh, they, they could only stick with you for a while. And so Pharaoh's thinking about his gods, and he's like, I bet the, God, the Israelites, maybe now that he's accomplished the, the exodus, maybe he's not with them anymore, so I'll sneak up on them, and I'll destroy them. I'll get the last word. So Pharaoh is on one side, the sea is on the other side. So that's where we find ourselves in the story today. And what we're going to see is that the Red Sea story is a pre-Easter, Easter story, because God is actually going to show up again and separate the sea so that the people of Israel can walk through the sea to the other side. And Pharaoh and his army is going to chase them into this opened up sea, and then the waters are going to come back down on them. God's going to rescue his people in a miraculous way. And so what we'll see in this story is that when there's no possible escape, when death is imminent, God can and does show up. And he can and does act, and he can and does provide a way through death to the other side of death, so that there is life after death. It's the science of living longer. And God is the key. So this is what we're going to be studying today. Now, the first thing that might be rolling around in some of your scientific minds is, did this really happen I mean, come on. Maybe there's a natural explanation. Uh, I don't really think that God parted the Red Sea. This can't be true, right? And then the question comes, well, does it really even matter? Maybe it's just a nice story that reminds us that there is a God who is powerful. Well, I'll argue with you, though it's hard for me. I'm like a public school kid. Grew up in the Seattle area, University of Washington, so, so logic and reason and, and science, these are all things that I, I care about. And so it's hard for me. But when I read this story, I don't think he leave, God leaves open for us room that this is, this is just a myth. Or that maybe they walked through the water where it was a little bit shallow. And, and, then, and then we sort of made the story much bigger. I think God makes it very clear here that this happened in history. And that he parted the sea. And there was two walls, it said, of water. And the word that, that's used for walls is only ever used in Hebrew for the walls of a city, which were at least 20 feet high. So, so there's other words you could have used for like kind of a shorter wall like you see in front of me. There's other words for that. But the word used was like the wall of a city. And the water was spread. So I do think that it matters because the word of God matters. You see, we are a people who need revelation. So truth doesn't begin here and what seems right to me or what I think makes sense to me. We need truth from outside of us to come in and inform us about what is true and good. It doesn't mean that we don't have anything in here to work with. It just means what's in here is a little bit skewed. That's the story of the Bible, that when sin entered the world, this got a little skewed. And so we need information from the outside, And so here's some information from the outside that this is how powerful God is. He can even part the sea and walk his people right through to new life. So I think it matters. I think it matters. In fact, it matters so much to the people of Israel throughout their history that they wrote songs about it. Psalm 77 talks about this. Let me just read it and and let me think. Hundreds of years later, do you think this person who wrote the psalm thinks that this is a true story? Psalm 77, after lamenting and saying, God, where are you? Why haven't you helped us? My enemies come against me. The psalm turns and the psalmist says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders You made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The clouds poured out water, the, the, the skies gave forth thunder, and your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in a whirlwind. Your lightning lifted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So here you have, hundreds of years later, the author truly (laughs) believing that God did this. And why is that important? Because if it's just an idea that, there, that, that, that that makes us feel good, then it is no comfort in a time of need. It is no comfort when the walls are closing in. It is not if God is only an idea. The psalmist doesn't believe so. He said, God, I know what you can do because you did it before. This is why the Apostle Paul, writing after Jesus' death and resurrection, writes in 1 Corinthians. Jordan read, read it. During the first song, Paul will then go on to say, If Christ did not literally, physically rise from the grave, then our faith is in vain. We then are the most to be pitied. Why? Because we've put our trust in something that doesn't actually happen. This happened, friends. (laughs) The Red Sea parted, just like Jesus rose from the grave. Now, which is harder to believe, <laughs> the resurrection of a man who died or the parting of a great body of water? Both are challenging, but if we are people of the resurrection, if we come in here and we say he is risen, then I think we can say God is a God who can part. So it matters because our hope is laid up in the fact that we too will experience a resurrection of the body and eternal life in the body just like Jesus is alive in the body, so the So the reality of this, the historical reality, matters. So let me read now the whole, if you still got your finger there, in Exodus 14. I just want to read. This is the word of God. We need revelation. Let God stir us up as we read this account of what God has done. So, in the first four verses, uh, we see that God has put them in this precarious situation between the water and the army of Pharaoh. Verse 5 then says this. Chapter 14 of Exodus. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he, that's Pharaoh, made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots And all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. While the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. And they overtook them and camped by the sea, by Pi-Hahirath, in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. No duh. <laughs> and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So they got that right. It's okay to fear, but you cry out to the Lord in your fear. They said to Moses, then they don't get this so great. They said to Moses, Is it because you, there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? <laughs> I mean, what would have been going through their mind? Why have you taken us out here just so that we could die? And they start to do what? When you start to see a great enemy in front of you, a great challenge, the great unknown, and you start to wonder, what are you doing, God? And you're confused. What what do you typically do? You begin to think about the good old days. Remember when even if the remember when was 400 years of slavery. Well, at least we had a roof over our head. At least we had food to eat. At least there wasn't an army charging in. At least there wasn't a giant body of water that we could not pass. The good old days. And that life, which wasn't life truly life, begins to appeal good to us. And our tendency is to want to go back and forget just how Oppressed and in bondage we were. That goes for us too. Though we might have our freedom, we have sin and habits that that, that we just go back to because at least that gives us something. What, you brought me out here, God, to die? Now imagine, they say, what, are there no graves in Egypt? And you're gonna bring us to this giant watery grave so our bodies can be swept away and our memory erased forever? What are you doing, God? What's Moses say? What's Moses say? Verse 12. Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? These are the people speaking still. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, that we may serve our slave masters? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Moses' great Shining moment to this point in his leadership. Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. (laughs) Wow. Here's the thing. Moses has no idea how God's going to get him out of this. God hasn't told Moses this yet. Moses just has learned to trust in the Lord. And he says, all you have to do is be silent and wait. And God will open up a way. Verse 15. So then the Lord, then Yahweh, said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. Moses is like, Uh, What? (laughs) Didn't see that one coming. God says it like it's already done. Lift it up over the sea that you may go with all of Israel through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the heads, the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they may go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, all of his chariots, all of his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the lord when i have gotten glory over pharaoh his chariots and his horsemen then the angel of god remember we talked about this last week the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud during the day that had been guiding them in the wilderness and had taken them to this precarious position strangely had brought them back away from fleeing and now back into this pickle it says the angel of god who was going before them that is, the host or the divisions of Israel, he moved out and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them, and now it stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And remember what we said last week. The language used here is the same language that's used in the burning bush account, where, God is, or where Moses is speaking to God. And what did we say in both of those instances? This is a pre-incarnate manifestation Of God the Son, that is the Christ, standing between the enemy of death and the people of God. You think this is the last time that Jesus Christ, God the Son, will stand between the enemy of death and his people? There's another time where Jesus stands between and absorbs the wrath of death. It's the cross. The cross of Christ. And here, back in the wilderness, 1300 years earlier, God, in a different form, stands between certain death and his people. Let's keep reading. And there was the cloud. And the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the seas back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry land. Okay? Into the midst of the sea on dry land. Underline that. Into the midst. The waters being a wall to them on their right and a wall to them on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen. And in the morning, watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw them into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they they drove heavily. And the Egyptians saw, or the Egyptians said, let us flee said to their generals, let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, over the water, you may come uh, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the water returned to the normal course. When the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. All of the hosts of Pharaoh that that, that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry land through the sea, the waters being a wall to them. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of Egypt. And Israel saw the Egyptians die on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. No longer do they fear, see that language, Pharaoh, now they fear the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. And then we have this great, if if you've got a physical copy of the Bible, there's this great uh, chapter, chapter 15, and it's offset like this. When you see this in the Bible, that means it's poetry. And and basically what this is, it's, it's a very long song that Moses sings. Why does he sing? Because when you experience the acts of God to save you, the only response is to worship, is to sing. And that's exactly what happens. The people on the other side of the sea, seeing what God has done, seeing that they've come through death into life, they worship God. Guess what that is? The first Easter service. The first Easter service. We're alive! Death does not take us. We were sure it would. But we're alive. And we sing. And it's so great. Moses sings a song. And then that's like like not enough singing. And then you see that his sister Miriam starts to sing. And we only have one verse, but, but it's the same verse as the first line, verse of the song that Moses sings, which means she's like, play it back, <laughs> play it back. <laughs> Let's sing it again. So Jordan, if you hear me say, play it back, you just gotta go again, we gotta play it back. Because you just can't stop singing when you see what the Lord has done. Okay. So now, to get to that place of ultimate worship, We've gotta understand a couple things about the Red Sea story and the resurrection story. Because you won't sing fully. You'll give it like half breath unless you understand truly what God has done. So what are the things that we need to understand about what God has done? The first is this. The enemy was insurmountable. Look, Look at it again. In chapter 14, Did you see where it says, And Pharaoh took with him his chariot. He's probably got the nicest ride in the whole bunch. He took his army. He took 600 of his chosen chariots. And then it says, and then he took some more chariots. Meaning, (laughs) he took all the best chariots and all the best military officers that have been trained and grown up and have been made into men of war. 600 of them. And he's like, and let's bring some more too. With like the junior officers, let's bring them. And chariots were such an advantage in military warfare. Guess who had zero chariots? The Israelites. Guess who had been trained to be slaves that made bricks and not warriors? The Israelites. So when they see, they know that they're dead. When the the Hebrews see the Egyptians, they know it's over. There's no way. Pharaoh has not cut any corners. He's not going to war cheap. I mean, he's bringing the whole shebang. He's like, we're going to end this right now. They've humiliated me, now I will humiliate them. And he brings the whole deal. So that's on one side. What's on the other side? The other side is this giant body of water. Guess who probably weren't great swimmers? Everyone (laughs) in antiquity. Like, you didn't have swim lessons. It wasn't like, go down to the local pool and learn to swim. No, there was no noodles. There was no noodles in the old days. Like, there's, I mean, like, people were terrified of the water. The water represented death to people in living in this time, all the way up until the time of the New Testament too. Because uh, if you if you're a student of the Bible in the Book of Revelations, it says in heaven there'll be no sea. You say like that sucks. I'm like a water person. <laughs> like why is God? You know he's not going to get those. There will be water, but sea is shorthand for death. There will be nothing like the sea that you're terrified of, because so many people that went off. Into the sea, never returned. This is terrifying. So on one hand you have death by the sword; the other hand you have death by drowning. There is no way out. It makes me think of um, Star Wars. Remember the very—it's the very first, but it's really the fourth. Anyhow, New Hope, 1977, the trash compactor. Right? On one hand, stormtroopers and da, ah, jump into this hole. We end up in the trash, and then what happens? Sorry if you've never seen the movie, but they they jump in, we got Chewbacca, we got Princess Leia, we got Han Solo, and we got Luke. And they're in this trash compactor and then all of a sudden the walls begin to move. Now not only do the walls begin to move, but guess what else is in the water of the trash compactor? A serpent biting at their heels. Reminds you anything? This life, we're not in the land of the living. We're in the land of the dying. And there's so many things coming after us, including the great serpent of Genesis chapter 3, who is tempting us and luring us and binding us up. And the walls of death are coming in on both sides. And what saves Luke and his ragtag? Outside help. They cry out into their walkie talkie RGD2, C3PO, are you there? And they're, like, doing something else for a while. And and so they keep yelling. They keep praying. They keep asking for help from the outside because they know they cannot escape. And finally, C-3PO, R2-D2, hear their cry. Stop the trash compactor. Open the hatch. And they escape. They escape the serpent. They escape the waters. They escape the death. It's a great gospel story right there. And friends, we still have two walls coming in on us. If we don't understand truly where we live, the time we live in, the stakes, if we don't understand the desperation that we have because sin is biting at our heels, because death is coming no matter what the science, no matter what medicine does, it is coming in. Your life is shorter today than it was yesterday. It's coming for us. The consequence, the penalty of sin is death. And if we don't understand truly how serious our sin is, our rebellion against God, that we've turned to go our own way rather than listen to our God. If we don't understand that we cannot save ourselves, that there's nothing that we can do, we won't worship like Israel does. In chapter 15, we'll, we'll half worship, we'll give half of our breath, half of our Sundays, half of our mornings, half of our meals, maybe, because we don't understand that the walls are caving in. Death is coming. Sin is real and it's powerful, and there's nothing you can do to get away from it, it's insurmountable. It's 600 600 choice chariots plus more. It's the most terrifying thing, the abyss of sea. And until we realize that, we won't truly cry out for help, help that can only come from the outside in. So, what do we do instead? Some of us just try to swim. We're like, I guess I'll just swim. Maybe some of the Egyptians, just, or sorry, the Hebrews, just started swimming. They didn't make it very far. Maybe some of them said, I'm going to leave my people, and I'm going to try to sneak out the cloak of darkness, and I'll save myself. And they end up in the wilderness alone, and they won't make it. All of us try to do something in the face of this to try to escape on our own, but here is what the gospel of Jesus Christ tells you. There's nothing that you can do to escape. There's nowhere to go. Your self-righteousness, your good works, your good deeds, that's like trying to swim across the Red Sea on your own without a floaty. You will not make it. You try to distract yourself, confuse yourself, go your own way, make something of yourself, you'll fall short. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself from the insurmountable enemy that is sin and death that is coming apart from help from the outside and that help has been given to you. It's a gift. Jesus has already paid the penalty. He's already slain the army. He's already spread the sea. All you have to do is walk through by holding his hand and trusting him. So it's the first thing you need to know. Insurmountable enemy. And then the second thing is this. You could never imagine the path. You could never imagine the path. Israel could never have imagined what God would do. Moses didn't even know until God told him, S- put out your staff, I'm going to spread the sea. God always surprises us with the path. We can't predict it. And people couldn't predict it when Jesus came and died on the cross. We cannot predict what God is going to do. He will open a way, though. I'm reminded, I've been reading this book with my father-in-law called um, How the Irish Saved Civilization. Did you know this? They saved Western civilization. Here's what happened. The fall of Rome in the 400s A.D., uh, barbarians, for lack of a better word, the Germans, (laughs) came and started taking over rome and and all of western civilization and what they did is they would burn the great works of literature uh and civilization was being thrown asunder now the only place that they didn't think to go and take over for another hundred years or so was this little island off the coast of of england Uh, there's nothing good could come from over there we don't need that let the irish have that and what happened is intellectuals from all over europe fled to ireland And then the Irish monks set up these monasteries where they transcribed all the great works of Western literature, including the Bible. And they were the only ones. Much of this was lost around the rest of Europe. And these monks, these Irish monks, said, you know what? People need to know this good news. They need to know about God. They need to know about this civilization that's built upon the bedrock of the gospel." And so you know what they did? Now, you would never have imagined this. You would never imagine this is the way God will move his mission forward. You never would have done it. You you look back now, you say, oh, that makes sense. This makes no sense. These are called the white martyrs. And what they did, they would like duct tape or something, books onto their cloak. They'd hop into a rowboat without oars, and they would let the tides take them. (laughs) And wherever they landed... They would set up a monastery. They would keep copying all of these texts. They'd invite others in. And they re-civilized or gospelized Europe. And you can see a map. If you look at a map of Europe, there's all these cities that were started by these white martyrs who had gotten on these rowboats and just floated. You would never imagine that. The path God would use. These Irish... nothing good ever came from Ireland. Oh, yes, it did. We wouldn't be here without the Irish. Unbelievable. God's path is always unimagined until he does it, and then you say, he is God. Unbelievable. Maybe you feel stuck right now. Maybe you feel like There's no way out. There's no way God could make something of my life. This situation I'm in, clearly he's forgotten about me. There's no way. All you need to do is be silent and cry out to the Lord. Open up a way. I don't know how long it will take, and I have no idea what it will look like, but God will show up. He'll part the sea, and you'll look back and you'll say, wow, amazing, That's the story of Easter. (laughs) No one expected that God would come into the story, into his world, on his own. They never even imagined that that's what the Messiah, that the Messiah would be God in the flesh. And then they never imagined that if God came to the world, that he'd actually walk towards his own death. And willingly go to the cross, and be crucified, and be slain, and be broken, and be buried into a grave. No one would have imagined. And then no one would have imagined he would rise from the grave that death would not hold him that he would prove once and for all that his sacrifice was complete, that we too can have resurrected life if only through him you never would have imagined it which reminds me of the third thing, the necessity of the grave, for some reason God's plan always goes through the grave it's how he does it it must have been the only way The Red Sea, like I said, was death. So imagine if you were floating on a boat. Imagine if you were one of these Irish monks floating along, and and all of a sudden you see this giant army up on a cliff, and then you see this helpless people with all these cattle and all these children trapped between them and the sea. And then all of a sudden, because you can't see it, because you're just looking at the the horizon of the water, you watch this, this mass of people walk straight in to their grave, and they're gone. They're buried. And you're just like, what just happened? They walked to their own death. And then sometime later, seems from the text, maybe like 24 hours later, all of a sudden, you see, you're in the boat. Are you sitting in the boat with me? And you're looking out. All of a sudden, they've gone in. All of a sudden, you see this, those look like the same people. And they begin to walk out of their watery grave. God brought life out of death. And so we witness at the, at, at, at the pre-Easter Easter of the Red Sea, we witness the magic of rebirth. The supernatural act of God leading to new life, life after death, prefiguring what happens to us When we accept the sacrifice of Jesus, when we walk into our grave with him, and we die with Christ on the grave, we die to ourselves, Jesus says. Pick up your cross, Jesus says. Follow me into the grave so that I might raise you up out of the grave. The magic of rebirth comes through the grave and leads to new life that you could never imagine, that looks totally different, that brings you joy in ways that you never thought you'd experience joy. It goes through the grave. Clinging to Jesus, accepting, dying to yourself, taking on him, putting on the clothing of Christ, becoming little Christ in the world so that you might live to eternal life. That's what we celebrate on Easter. And what does it lead to? Song. Joy. Celebration. Community. Of the resurrected people who all look at each other and say, can you believe what God has done for us? Can you believe that he's died for us? Can you believe that he rose again? And we all say, yes, he did it for me. He's changed me. I have new life. I'm not the same. Life on the other side of that sea was one thing, and it's a completely new thing. And then we yell back across, follow us, come with us. Learn about the man who died and came back again. So that's what we'll do this morning. We'll look around do that. Do that while we're singing. Look around at your neighbor and see the joy in their eyes when they know that Jesus Christ has died for them and he has not stayed dead. So make sure you show it with your whole body, with your whole face, or at least whatever's open. Show it with your eyes that you know that Jesus Christ has risen.